1: Welcome to the Soul of Enterprise, Business in the Knowledge Economy, sponsored by SAGE, energizing business builders around the world through the imagination of our people and the power of technology. I'm Ed Kless with my friend and co-host Ron Baker, and on today's show, Ron, at aura labellum delenda est.
2: I love it. I feel like I'm part of the resistance. <laughs> this is Awesome.
1: Yeah, no, this is good. This is fun stuff. And uh, should mention, as I always do, I don't know why I feel this 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 uh, propensity to fess up when we pre-record a show. Well, I I just have this never-ending fear that some like big thing is news item is going to hit and our pre-record yes. is going to go out and people are going to be like, "Why the heck did not they didn't talk we... about
2: that?" Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Right. So, yeah, no, I I was going to do that if you if you didn't. So, yeah, it's uh it's March yeah. 27th we're pre-recording this so this will air on uh, april 5th
1: yep yep so we're we're pretty excited about about that and uh but we are going to talk about this really interesting topic and i clearly need to explain it because the the title of the show is latin and it's my very poor translation of a well i should tell the backstory so there's there's back during the punic wars and what this is like Two or three hundred BC, Ron Punic Wars. Oh,
2: yep, yep.
1: Yeah, you know I'm. You know, I'm not. You know my history's is not. Yeah,
2: I'm that. not a scholar on a-
1: <laughs> Yeah, the Punic Wars were. They were fought between Rome and, and Carthage. Right. Right? And Carthage was a seafaring power, as was Rome, and it was really over the dominance of the Mediterranean Sea, right, and who had the trading routes and all, all of this, this type of stuff. So they, they had these wars, and, and try as Rome might, for the longest time, they really couldn't smack these suckers down. Like, they, they did, over the course of several wars, acquire more and more territory, but Carthage itself, it held on. It was, it was, it was tough. They were, they didn't go down without a fight of several hundred years, right? I think they finally were taken out in, I don't know, 154 BC or something like that. But it was a, it was a a long period of time, over 150 years, I think, that it took for this. So they were, they were the thorn in the side of the Roman empire for the longest time. And there was a a Roman senator who I think became the first council, which Pre-emperor days was, you know, the 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 top dude, right? right, right. Um, but uh, but he but he was not emperor, wasn't Caesar, wasn't anything like that he just was the first among equals kind of thing, more like a prime minister type role. Um, anyway, his name was was Cato the Elder, not to be confused with Cato the Younger, for whom the Cato Institute is named after who is an opponent of, of Caesar right and the, of and of their being a an empire but so this Cato the elder guy was uh was the was a senator and what he would do is like he would get up after every at every speech that he would give in the Roman Senate like like all right we need to build a new aqueduct right and they would talk about you know what are the reasons why he would build a new aqueduct and then he would end it and, uh, with, with the, in the exact phrase. What, what they say is "centurum uh, censio Carthaginium essa delendum," and that has been since translated down to uh, "et Carthago delenda est." Uh, et Carthago, I'm sorry, et Carthago delenda est, which, again, loosely translating means "and Carthage much must be destroyed." Right. right? <laughs> and Carthage must be destroyed. So, yeah, we got to build a new aqueduct, but you know, just so you know, Carthage has got to go down too right? So, um, and I think it was, it was in your book, somebody had written you a letter that, that that said to you, was it a letter or an email? Probably an email. It was an
2: email and then we posted, I think on Verisage and it kind of went around and went viral and everybody started chiming in but the guy said, you know, he said, reading your books and mater- uh, the site materials, I share your confidence that value-based pricing is the right thing for service selling. I feel though that your obsession to wipe out timesheets is akin to the the Lundess Carthago motto, Carthage must be destroyed. Right. And that, that's when you picked up and, on the, yeah.
1: <laughs> and I'm like, well, yes. And let me embrace that. <laughs>
2: you're right. Yes, Carthage <laughs> must be destroyed.
1: <laughs> you're absolutely correct. So, uh, so of course, what I had to do is I had to go out and I had to, you know, find out the, the a, a translation. And, and at the time, this is a while ago, my dad was still alive. I talked to him a little bit. And we, we we came up with this this aura uh, labellum delenda est, right? So aura labellum. Now, what's really cool about aura labellum is if you look at the translations, right? The of this aura is h o r a, and it can be, can be translated as either hour or time. Ah, right. Okay. So oh, like, like uh, so when you say, it, but but similar to way sometimes we use the word hour, right? To to mean time like uh, mm-hmm. at at, w- at what hour are of the clock are you doing this right 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 so, right? so there's that that that's that that would be the, the 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 translation so it can be either hour or time and labellum it, which is a re- another interesting word is it, it's a, akin to the word bill but it also ha- has a, the connotation of a sh- a sheet of paper right. Mm-hmm. So what's really interesting is that when you say aura labellum, you could translate it as either and hourly billing must be destroyed or as and the timesheet must be destroyed. Right. Right. So it's, a, it's kind of a... It's, at least in my whacked out brain, and I'm sure that there's some Latin scholar out there who's going to tell me that I'm full of crap, which I probably am. But at least the way I'm, I, I, I read it is it's a, it's a, it's a pun. It's a, it's a Latin pun on both of those things, both the billable hour and the timesheet. But we're going to spend the rest of this episode talking about wh- in, in context of why we think the timesheet must be destroyed because i think we've convinced a lot of people about billing by the hour and there are more and more people moving to either subscription based pricing or fixed fees or menu pricing uh, and getting away from using the 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 hour as the unit of t- uh, u- unit of time that they put on the invoice and that they say we you know we're billing you 3 hours at 150 an hour 450 bucks that clearly i think is is uh, on the wane but man this timesheet just like carthage try as we might (laughs) Uh,
2: destroy it It, it, it's amazing to me the shelf life of really bad ideas (laughs) they hang around way past their cell date marxism yeah yeah and socialism and you know bloodletting i mean the list is long um and this was right up there and one of the inspirations for this, Ed, was we saw somebody had posted, I think on our Facebook page, uh, accounting today article, um, you know, timekeeping, stop wasting time. And, you know, the thing that we keep running up against and it's, it's in the first line of this article says, do you know the true cost of a client engagement? And that's it. That's, I hear this every day. How would we know the cost? if we, How would we know what it costs? And I, I've only got, I've got one answer to this and it doesn't satisfy anybody except maybe us and Dr. Lee, Reginald Lee. Customers and services don't have costs. Firms do. And I don't know how to wrap people's head around that.
1: Well, but, but it's, it's the obsession, Ron, isn't it? It's the obsession in the accounting profession to match revenue and expenses,
2: that's part of it and it's an obsession to allocate costs right to, out, to take i don't care if that cost is fixed variable whatever and to allocate it and i just want to say up front for for you know some people have got we've gotten some feedback from we're not talking about job costing here if you're if you're a contractor and you're building a home yes you're going to spend material you're going to hire labor that's not probably on your payroll job costing is purely appropriate for that that's not right. what we're talking about we're talking about you have a factory or you have a firm, you have a pile of costs and you try and allocate that to, to various products or services. It can't be done. It's not accurate. It's almost, it's meaningless because the art, the allocations are completely arbitrary, but that we just keep running up against it.
1: Well, I, I, I seem to have run up against this, More and more, and when I say to people that 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 cost allocation or costs are an opinion, right? The the, it's clearly immediately two camps. What I find I don't know if you when you talk to people, when I say that in front of an audience, especially of accountants, about half the well I should say about a third of the room says no, 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 cost is not an opinion, right? The fact it's a fact. The other, the other, the other third, another third says, um, but no, you're right. Cost of an opinion. And then a third in the middle is just out they are just completely confused by the whole conversation. So, yeah, you know, I,
2: I started to say allocated costs are an opinion because it depends upon the method and the measurement is not dependent upon a choice right? Mm-hmm. If, we're, if we're counting the number of people coming in through the door, that, that I don't get the choice of the count. It's one, two, you know. <laughs> but with with an allocation, I get to choose how I'm going to allocate that. It's going to be marginal costing, full absorption, lean. I mean, there's like, you know, nine or ten different methods. They'll all throw off a different result. It's not a cost. and But it, it's, as Dr. Lee says, it's a non-cash cost. But here's the other thing, Ed. If I always ask, I love to ask people, well, okay, let, let's take this guy's question at its face value. Do you know the cost of a client engagement? Then tell me how much cash we save if we don't take on that engagement.
1: Yeah, and there's no answer to that question. There's,
2: there's because the, – and I don't even like using fixed variable cost wording anymore because that's accounting and it, it leads to all sorts of confusion. That's why I like – you know, Reginald's uh, non cash cash distinction. It's a non cash cost because you're paying for that capacity, meaning labor, rent, technology, irrespective of how it's utilized.
1: That's right. That's right. I mean and and, and, and that we've kind of talked about for years, to say look, what you've gotta do is the sum total of all of your prices has to be higher than your total expenses it's really not all that hard right and, and so yeah and
2: and this guy even says in this article well you know you've got to you've got to uh, manage the profitability of every engagement no you have to manage the profitability of the entire firm because looking at this on a job by job or more insanely an hour by hour basis I mean what these people are actually advocating is you run a P&L every hour and that's just insane mm-hmm. <laughs> that it's just insane but that, that's kind of where their logic leads. I mean, if if I was boss to it I'd come up with a great, <laughs> you know, some absurd thing, some absurd way to illustrate this, right? Like the negative railroad. But we're running p and L on every hour.
1: Did we make money on this hour? Yeah. Do, I, I wonder. Do, do people even ever look at that? I'm sure there are people. Do, do we make money today? Like what were all of our what were all of our like, revenues and expenses for today. Right. <laughs>
2: I, I, I know it, you just get into all these weird allocations and it just becomes so ridiculous. But the, but the big problem with this is it has nothing to do with value and it has nothing to do with the customer.
1: No, it so, doesn't help at all.
2: Right. The focus is just totally on the wrong thing. It's like, if we turn inward and measure better and do more accurate and more real time timekeeping which is what this article is arguing for then we'll be more profitable and that's just patently false
1: no and and my, my response to this gentleman i actually did post a comment on this and he there hasn't been a reply so i'm not even gonna worry mm-hmm. about it right yeah it's just and it was it was extraordinarily tongue-in-cheek and I, I was i was actually hoping for somebody to take somebody to take the bait Um, because what I, what I said to him was, was, uh, you know, trying to make it absurd is, you know, by all means, in fact, I'd recommend that since it's so important that professionals should have two timekeeping systems.
2: (laughs) What's the, what's the carpenter line, you know, measure twice, cut
1: cut cut once, right? So, (laughs) you know, so it's measure twice, bill once. You got it's so, we should have, it was so important that we clearly should have two timekeeping systems operating at the same time and you know making sure that they're both in sync and then look hey you would also have to hire someone to reconcile those so it's good can for audit the it Aud- we should be yeah. auditing it yeah. yeah it's good for the economy it's awesome awesome for the economy and, and of course
2: one of the one of the things this guy's saying in this article is that well ai and and you know real time uh, time tracking will be able to do this they'll that it will know the task you're working on and the client and even if you're doing
1: multitasking there's ways to track that it's just all insane it's all brain brain implant it, brain yeah. implant you know, what we're going to do is we need the Google glasses to see what are you looking at? Yeah.
2: And, right? and, well, even better, what are you thinking about? But anyway, Ed, I can't believe it. We're up against it already. But, folks, I'd like to remind you if you want to get a hold of Ed or myself, you can send an email to asktsoe at com. And now we want to hear from our sponsors.
0: Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the foreword changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the foreword to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network.
2: All right. Well, welcome back, everybody. We're doing something that, with a Latin title that Ed explained <laughs> in the first segment that I'm not even going to try and pronounce. Ed
1: or so. a labellum delenda est. You, Thank it's you. That easy, Ronnie. You, just, you say, just say what's there. It just, yeah. Just what's there. Yeah. That's it. It's beautiful.
2: All right. Excellent. Um, <clears throat> why timesheets must be destroyed. Stop wasting your time, folks. Stop tracking this metric. It's absolutely superfluous. But, Ed, another objection that I, <clears throat> that we hear a lot is if you track time you'll get tremendous insight and you'll make better pricing decisions and you'll improve the customer experience because you'll have more predictable project delivery timelines and you'll maximize revenue and profitability respond to that
1: <laughs> well it's it just just utter nonsense what's your phrase nonsense on stilts yeah right it's- I mean, how how is it possible that becoming a better cost accountant leads to better pricing? Um, it, 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 it just it may, it's no no nonsensical on its face. But let, let's just let's, let's just go even further. Ask that, do they actually do that? <coughs> right? Do you actually do you actually go back and look at previous engagements and say this is how long it took us? And and what do they what do they say when you ask them that?
2: No. Nobody ever goes back and looks, and, and for project management, for delivery timelines, and how long will things take? I mean, folks.
1: Well, because they say because every engagement's different.
2: Exactly. We have 60 <laughs> years of timesheet data, in, like in the big four firms or in the you know the top 100 firms. We have decades of timesheet data. Firms should know down to the second how long everything takes, from a tax return to the most complicated job alive. And when I challenge them on that and say, Hey, what are you doing with all this data? You have it all. You should know what everything they'll look at me and go, every customer is different. Every engagement's different. And I'm like, well then what's the purpose of the timesheet? The mm-hmm. purpose of the timesheet that is to track costs. So they know they're making a profit and it's an illusion. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah. a, it's a complete illusion and there's no other way to say it. And, and, To explain that and and to get somebody's head around it is really, really difficult, even though accountants kind of understand that there's a lot of arbitrariness in accounting and that depending on the method, they can come up with different numbers, right? Cooking the books, LIFO, FIFO for inventory, right? Depending on the method we choose, we can throw off different net income numbers. But this idea that you're getting tremendous insight from knowing how long something takes is just ridiculous.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Well, and, and then the, the question also becomes is, all right, so let's be, say we have an engagement 100 hours just to make the math easy, right? That we budge, quote budgeted and the, the, and that's what we're, we're ch- ch- checking against. Well, let's say we get pat, get up to that and we blow past that 100 hours, right? So then the other question, and I think you've asked this a million times as well, people, so what, what do you do then? Yeah. Right? And there's usually one of two responses. Well. Either we try to go and negotiate some kind of a change order, not request, because it's a change order at that point, right? And it's really not a change order because you're not changing anything, right? This just- Right, you've already done the work. You've already done the work, right? So it's, it's taking more time to do the work. And then they do something that I think is completely interesting. They then probably take it away from the person who's been working on it and give it to some of their best people to get it done so that we can put it to bed.
2: right? That's right.
1: right. Sometimes taking those best people off their better customers and better opportunities, right? Just so that we can say, all right, you know what, I'm going to give it, I'm going to give it to Steve. Cause Steve will just plow through this. He'll take care of it in two hours. It'll be done. We know it'll be done right. Let's give it to Steve, right? Steve of course is out at best customer right now. Maybe actually having conversations about how to, to grow the business, but no, we got to give, pull Steve in and let's, because just what they, 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 just what their customers fear, it only takes Steve two hours to rectify the situation. So why right. did not you put Steve on in the first place? Right.
2: <laughs> I know. And then they say, it's great for resource planning and all that and you'll get more accurate. And, and, and of course, a big concern with the fixed prices people will, you know, no, no one wants to admit blowing past the fixed price budget, so they'll, they'll eat time or not record time, which, of course, leads to, you know, errors in estimating in the future. But I got news for you. That happens with the billable hour. <laughs> I mean, people eat time all the time under the billable hour world because they don't want to look like an idiot to their manager or blow oh. past the, the budget, which was a carryover from last year, which was a pack of lies from the last round of timesheets. It's just the whole metric. It just shows you the absurdity of the road that you go down when you start with the wrong theory. Mm-hmm. And it, this this metric does not matter whatsoever. It just doesn't. It just absolutely doesn't. And yet I, the, the objections to this just keep coming. I mean, all our four defenses of the timesheet, right? Pricing, right. cost accounting, project management, efficiency of the team, right? We've blown the, the the pricing thing out of the water. You've blown the project management thing out of the water. And I'm hoping that Dr. Lee's new book, Strategic Cost Transformation, blows the the cost accounting. But it's a tough sell because all these consultants to the profession, and I'm not just talking about the, the time and billing program people that, you know, sell this stuff. I expect them to be idiots and never pick up a book to read anything that is contrary to their, to their world view. But the consultants to the profession that propagate this nonsense are all over the place. And they're keeping the profession mired in this mentality that time is critical metric. And it's not. Mm-hmm. Time can't be managed.
1: So, and then then this is the, the, the question or objection I get also is like, I, I see your point. I get it. And I want to get rid of the the, the, the timesheet. I want to get rid of it. But there's far too many people inside the organization who are hooked on it, who have who have an addiction to it. And what I'm going to do, we're just going to keep it around, even though it's not going to mean anything un- until they either come to their senses, which some make the argument that they do. So let's let them keep it. Let's let them keep their security bl- blanket until they come to the conclusion that, oh, OK, it, we, we really don't need this. Because that's the argument I hear is that they will come to that conclusion, but you just got to let Linus hold onto the blanket for a little longer. Yeah. And I,
2: you know, that sometimes it can happen. I've seen that if somebody finally comes around and says, yeah, you know, this is not necessary metric anymore, but that can also take a long time. Mm -hmm. And in a rapidly changing VUCA world, right. Voluntary. (laughs) Yeah. Volatile. Uncertain, ambiguous, complex. Right. Um, in a VUCA world, uh, you, you you don't have the luxury of sitting around waiting. And what are you doing in the meantime to your to your human capital? One of the most important aspects of a, especially a knowledge firm. What are you doing to their morale and 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 their trust level and all of that? You know, Tim Williams has a fantastic post on this head, and I I, I really want to flush this out because it's just mm-hmm. wonderful. It's from his blog, Propulsion, I think, and it was published on March 20th. It's titled "Reengineering Your Firm Around Value." But here's here's probably my favorite line. He starts with "We are what we measure," mm-hmm. right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, you, you're going to get what you measure, even if it destroys you, right? Right. Um, but then he says, "The incentive that drives behavior in your firm creates either a culture of utilization or a culture of accountability." A culture of utilization promotes and rewards busyness. A culture of accountability is centered around productiveness. And I think, I think what he means by that is effectiveness. Right. Um, but that is so true. You know, mm-hmm. there's ways to, the problem with the time, it's an input measurement. It it's, has nothing to do with output, has nothing to do with effectiveness, which is a judgment. Mm-hmm. It has nothing to do with any of that. It's an input why are we measuring inputs it's like how, how many days a year do the kids go to school or how many hours a day do they sit in their class or CPE take your I mean there's a million examples of measuring inputs because they're easy but hmm. they're meaningless
1: yeah yep yeah. and, and it, here's the, my fear is that when when you allow people to continue to use the timesheet, it's always there to go back to as a crutch, and it will therefore re-in- uh, reincentivize—not that's, that's not the word—reinforce, re- uh, reinforce this notion that we need it for something. Like, what will happen is—is is well, let them keep the timesheet until they give it up. Yes, but then there are the little situations that come up where they're like, "Oh well, see, here's an example where we let's go back and see what we had since we have the timesheets data. Let's go, let's go back and see it." Right? Oh, look! We were over budget on that. Yeah, we knew that. Like, what, no, no kidding. Like, what? This, there's still no real learning that goes. It just reinforces the fact. We and we wouldn't have known that if we didn't have timesheets. No, you already knew it. That's why you decided to look at that one. Right? Exactly. That's why you exactly. decided to look it's, at that engagement. <laughs> you knew that.
2: <laughs> if you are learning things from your timesheet, you're a crappy leader and you're a crappy manager. Period. Because by the time it hits the timesheet, it's too late to do anything about it. You mm-hmm. better know what's going on with that job, that customer, long before anything shows up on a timesheet or, I might say, a financial statement. Mm-hmm. You know, just give you a quick example, if your best customer is having golf, uh, is playing golf with your strongest competitor, <laughs> you, you better know about that. Right. Long before it shows up in any financial data.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. And, 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 you know, it, and that's harder to know than something going on inside of your firm. Mm-hmm. People say, well, how would I know if people are working? Well, look out in the parking lot at nine o'clock at night and tell me, you know, I mean, how can you not know? You work with these people. How can you not know what they're up to?
1: Right, and, and plus with all of the other uh, team tools that are now out there, right? The Slack and and uh, you know where, where you can where you can be in constant contact with people over different engagements. Uh, you know, Microsoft Teams. There's there's just a, any number of these. How can you not know what's going on? This is what these things are for. This day, to increase the communication piece, not necessarily the 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 the, the time spent piece, but. You know the, the the final point I just want to make, make on that, that crutch thing is the, the other the other thing that I think keeping the time system around does is it also uh, enables customers to then push you about it right so, so if you if you're if you're trying to if you're trying to get to the point where you are doing fixed price agreements value based prices and you keep your time tracking system and a prospective customer says to you well how many hours is this is this going to take right you you're in a buy, you're in a quandary because you do keep the time system, right? So, you, I guess you could say well, it's none of your business, but the better answer is we don't track it. No, we do not track we don't track it. I can't tell you. I have no idea, right? We're so yeah. focused on getting your work done or getting the getting the the output or outcome that you desire that we don't even bother with that.
2: Right. we're, we're tracking I, outputs and milestones and and timelines and mm-hmm. uh, you know we're not tracking the inputs the inputs are meaningless
1: hmm yeah and I, it, it, that's the big danger is that it allows people to to go back to that where you just say we, we just don't track time don't
2: yeah. track. what are they going to do force you to track time I, well, I I guess they could and say we don't want to do business with you unless you do but then they're the wrong customer. I, I think if a client asks that or a customer asks that question about how many hours or they try and reverse re-engineer, you know, a fixed price yeah. into an hourly rate, I think you've lost control of the conversation at that point. Hmm. You know, I, I mean, we didn't do a good enough job in the value conversation focusing on the outcomes, the transformation, rather than the inputs and the deliverables. And
1: I, that that burden is on us to change that conversation. Absolutely. Well, once again, Ron, already at down past our second segment, want to remind you, you can talk to Ron or me by sending an email to asktsoe at verisage.com. Of course, we do have the Patreon site as well, where those of you who are on Patreon, by the way, will get this episode the week that we record it. Uh, so those of you who are just listening to this as part of the Voice America Network, and we love all of you listeners as well, but you can listen to any episode that we pre-record ahead of time. Usually the week that we do pre-record it happens a couple times a year. It's not all that often. But uh, go out to the Patreon site, which is patreon.com/ TSOE, but right now, a uh, word from our sponsors.
3: Forward slash S O E.
0: Have you ever read a book that changed your life?
2: All right. Well, welcome back, everybody. Ed, on this uh, Tim Williams thing, this article, which is just fantastic, and we'll and we'll get this up in the show notes. But he talks about uh, well, he talks about the Edward Deming's quote, which I love. He says, you know, they will likely meet the targets, even if they have to destroy the enterprise to do it. <laughs> you know, Deming's. That's where you know you'll get what you measure, right? Even right. If it Kills the organization. But the thing that Tim brings up in this article, another really good point is that a timekeeping system will create a shadow economy in, inside of your firm. Mm-hmm. And this comes from the book, Profit Beyond Measure, which is H. Thomas Johnson, the accounting professor, right. that, that was one of the first books I read that absolutely took down cost accounting. Uh what they say in this book is it's not an exaggeration to say that in most organizations today, each person whose work eventually serves customers needs is shadowed by another person whose job is it is to keep track of other people's work <laughs> <laughs> and and get your timesheet in, get, you know, yeah, yeah, in, yeah. all this, it's, it's this great shadow economy. Um, he says, and this is again, profit beyond measure, executive versed, in such practices and who believe that reality is defined by quantitative measurements are like the puppies who believe that the fence defines reality.
1: Into the, so, the world of the fence. It's so
2: true. Uh, you know, Tim, Tim says the focus in professional firms should be on doing the work, not manipulating quantitative yeah. abstractions about the work. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then he and then he goes on to say a tale of two firms. And I just love how he laid this out. He says, in firm A, it's time and energy are spent asking team members for estimated hours, preparing estimate of hours, logging hours on timesheets, tracking actual hours, collecting and policing timesheets, which, by the way, is enormous. Um, just go on YouTube and search the number of videos made to get people to submit their timesheets on time. There's a ton of them. There's a ton of them across all professional firms. Producing time reports, comparing and reconciling actual time against estimated time, justifying hours to clients, transferring or writing off hours. That's firm A. Firm B, on the other hand, devotes its energies to identifying the scope of value, desired outcomes, clarifying the scope of work, collecting complete information about assignments, developing more complete briefs and briefings investing more effort in developing effective solutions, pricing the value of the work, pricing and invoicing the work in phases, managing projects based on actual work completed, not hours spent, paying more attention to scope creep, repricing work that exceeds scope. Which firm is gonna be more profitable, but more importantly, which firm would you rather work for?
1: Yeah, and which firm would you rather hire? Yeah,
2: exactly. Yeah, yeah. From the customer's perspective, for sure. Right. And, and I just think the, the it's the culture more than anything. And, and and by that, I also mean the mentality of the usefulness of this metric, the, the, the mindset. It, the mindset is a quagmire of cost plus accounting. That's where this whole thing grew from. It's mm-hmm. an application of cost plus pricing. Mm-hmm. Well, if you're not pricing based on cost plus, there's no reason to do this. That's why it's got to go. That's why I say that firms that say they're doing value pricing but still have the timesheet, they're really not because they haven't changed the mindset. And they haven't haven't changed the culture. Maybe certain people inside the firm have, but the culture itself is still engineered. I mean… Think about how important, you know how they say that you learn more from what your managers do or your leaders do than what they say, right? right? We watch what they do. Well, what kind of message does it send when we invest all this money and time and effort in tracking time? How important is that metric? It mm-hmm. becomes everything. And that's the culture of ours. That's the culture of cost plus pricing. Not that, That's not a value pricing culture that's why Bain and McKinsey got rid of these damn things and <laughs> firms that that, that um, I think firms that keep timesheets aren't value pricing there's no way they can be I don't think they are
1: yeah no I, I think they could be they could be value pricing certain engagements but you're right the culture still goes back to hey what's could, can we check it we need to be able to check it. Right. We'll check it. We need right. to be able to check it. And, to to check it. And, and if you're adjusting your price on that, then by definition,
2: you're not value pricing. If, if, if we truly believe that value determines price right. and price justifies costs, then mm-hmm. you, you've got that order way out of
1: whack. Now. It's so retrospective. Well, and, and look, you bring up an interesting point, and, and this, you know, gets gets along to something I've said on the show a number of times when I talk about, the, you know, the fam- my famous ROI story. I ask, you know, what's the ROI of the ROI tool? Right, right. Has anybody, has anybody seen if the ROI tool actually does what it says it does, which is make sure that we're spending money appropriately, right? And, you know, people look at me like, well, what do you mean? But I apply the same logic to the time and billing system. Right? What is what is the what is the cost of the time and billing system? Yep. And we've done that exercise in a number of workshops that we've done, and and what it, what's usually somewhere between t- five and fifteen percent of revenue. I mean, it, it's it's a pretty wide swath, but let's even just let's even go let's even go with the low end five, five that you know, five percent of revenue. Is spent on the, the care and keeping, the the feeding of the of the time and billing system with people tracking hours, processing them through, processing the whip, getting the bills out, following up on recon, reconciling. You know, and I think you have to include write downs in a co- as a cost of the timekeeping system. Yep. Well, right? especially if you're billing hours or or billing retroactively. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Right. So, I mean, it's it, – it, and that's where some people would say, well, it's way more than 5% because we have more than 5% write-offs.
2: Yeah. No, absolutely. Right? Some, I've seen some estimates of that at 30%, you know, the total the full-blown cost. I mean, and you can argue, well, that's a non-cash cost. But the point – my point is even broader than the cost, and I know we've talked about this before, but it's the attention. Where's What, what are you focused on? You know, what, what he says, what Tim kind of closes out with, he says – um, instead of obsessing about hours, value price or value led firms turn their attention to measuring what really matters. Deadlines met, promises kept, work delivered, and results achieved. Mm-hmm. In other words, outputs, not inputs. Right. And right. then he quotes anomaly and anomaly is a phenomenal um I don't even want to call them an advertising agency because I'm not sure exactly what they are because they, they <laughs> they're so, an so, anomaly. <laughs> yeah, they're they are it's a perfect name because they are an absolute anomaly. They kind of they blew up the advertising model. Um they're part venture capital. I mean, they will take an interest uh a, a big risk with some of their clients work. Like they opened up the um Seatback Entertainment I think for uh, Virgin America Airlines. Hmm. And you know, they, they show things and then of course they run commercials and they get revenue for that. Anomaly took a percent because they built out the system. Hmm. So they created the software and, and and they made those investments. But here's here's what they said. And this is kind of a long quote, but I, I but I think this is so good. He says, We don't do timesheets ever. We believe they are dishonest and incentivize the wrong behavior. Our view is that the right people will solve a challenge quickly and should be rewarded for the value of that answer to the client. We'll back ourselves up on that by putting a significant percentage of our fees against the fact that our work will will work. The result is that our meetings are not only attended by people, are only attended by people who are adding value, not billable hours. It's just, it's a focus on results. And that culture, then, I think, permeates. And the only re- the only way at you know how we always talk about how do you how do you change a culture? <laughs> it, it, because it's it's beliefs, it's how you behave, it's how we do things around here, right? It's really hard to change a culture without changing a worldview or a paradigm or a theory. Or if, if you get rid of the timesheet, you will change the culture. We've seen it hundreds of times.
1: Mm-hmm. Because and cult- until you do
2: it, the culture will remain mired in inputs.
1: Right. It's it, and because culture emerges, right? I you know cult, cult culture it really emerges out of the, the norms of the people. It's a reflection right? of it's what reflection they think, believe, mm-hmm. how they act, and, and it, if if you have the timekeeping system in place, <clears throat> whether it's used for pricing or not. That's going to continue to be the focus. It's going to continue to be what people look at.
2: And, and the other thing that cracks me up about this is people will say, but I need to know the cost of something because I have an opportunity cost of, of doing that job, say, compared to doing something else. And that's true. Right. That's we true. Have, I agree with that. Yeah. I mean, economists invented the concept of opportunity cost. Not yeah. cost accountants, by the way. Cost accounting has nothing to do with opportunity cost. But here's the problem. And this is such a big category error. I asked them, but when is opportunity cost analyzed and decided upon? It's before you do something.
1: Right. If not after. you're
2: looking retroactively, you're not analyzing an opportunity cost. You're analyzing a sunk cost. And sunk costs are sunk. <laughs> Right. I mean, and I, stored. Yeah. Yeah, I, I just and, and that is just another really hard thing to to get across. Yeah, that
1: is that is an absurd argument because, I mean, just you just, just think opportunity cost, like I said, by definition is forward looking. I, I how can anybody make a retrospective opportunity cost argument? That's yeah. that is yeah. just absurd. I, I,
2: I can sit here. I could and have cool. been
1: I could have been I could have been shit sailing on my boat.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. like after we do this pre-recording, I'll say, Oh my God, I could have went to the beach instead of recording the soul of enterprise with Ed. <laughs> well, it's kind of too late. I mean, what's the point? I, you've got to make that decision ahead of time. Um, yeah. You know, our, uh, one of our friends of AirSage, Thomas Bowden, who's, he a lawyer. Um, he, he wrote, and I just love this comment. He said, so you take an arbitrary say." He's talking about the cost of cost of engagement. So you take an arb- arbitrary segment of your staff, assign them an arbitrary number of hours to record in or work each year, then take an arbitrary portion of your overhead and add it to the salaries of the arbitrarily selected staff Add to that an arbitrary figure for your desired profit and divide the arbitrarily chosen number of hours and voila, that's your ever so precisely determined cost per hour. Now measure your actual hours very precisely or all of those completely arbitrary choices will be completely useless. Of course, they're useless anyway, because no matter how precisely you measure the wrong thing, it's still wrong. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well said. Well said, Thomas. That's, that's some yeah, good that's, stuff.
2: That's beautiful. It, and it's yep. so true.
1: It is true. It is true. All right, Ron, up against our third and final break here. Ron, I remind you, you can send an email to us, asktsoe at verisage.com. We love to hear from you, so please do send those emails along. Uh, Participate in online on Twitter with hashtag asktsoe, and Ron and I will respond to that. And, of course, the best thing, if you're a top-level top flight to soul of enterprise listener what you can do is go out to our any, any of the places where you listen to podcasts but especially itunes give our show a rating and even better if you would write just a couple of sentence review we would really appreciate that we have read every single review that we've gotten on itunes on air and we'll continue that practice until we are overwhelmed with reviews so <laughs> please go ahead and overwhelm us reviews but right now a word from our sponsor and my employer sage
3: forward slash S-O-E
0: Have you ever read a book that changed your life?
2: All right, well, welcome back, everybody. I guess we're uh, trashing the on the, t- the timesheet here, Ed, or dishing the timesheet, but um,
1: an aura labellum delenda est. Thank you. <laughs> um, you know, on this
2: on this pricing, uh, the the cost of engagement and the the difference between a cash and a non cash cost. I did hear uh, Reginald told me a funny funny uh, line that he uses to kind of illustrate it. He read somewhere that. Uh, somebody computed that if Bill Gates is walking down the street, he sees a $20 bill, he shouldn't bend over and pick it up because his time is worth way more than that. I mean, that's absurd, <laughs> you know, but, but that is, that is the logic that you go down when you are allocating arbitrarily, like both like Thomas Bowden points out the, these metrics. That's the kind of, that's the conclusion you will draw about, having somebody bend over and pick up that $20 bill. No, don't do it. It'll cost you more than it's worth. Mm -hmm. It's crazy. (laughs) That's one of the things I like about the subscription model. And as we were talking before we went live, I think, you know, we're the ones that put in the vernacular, you price the customer, not the services. Yes. Right. Now you're seeing that all over the place. I see that everywhere. I look, anything that's written on VP has got price, the customer, not the services. Um, of course, they still say, well, you, but you still have to keep your time cheap. Yeah,
1: um, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh.
2: But I think with the subscription economy, we're actually moving now to price the portfolio.
1: I know. And that that, that that's that that to me, Ron, sounds like another show price the portfolio. Uh, but I, yeah, I, I think that 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 may be a future tagline that we we see a lot more of or certainly you and I talk a lot about, uh, you know, on, on this just to just to wrap up on this this. Uh, and, and, the, and the billable hour must be destroyed and the timesheet must be destroyed. I, I, I want to make a little fun of it. I, you know, I've told this story numerous times, but I'll, I'll just take a, a quick hat, hit at it again. You know, I, I, I call it the nuclear option, which is to ask an audience of people who normally bill time. So how, how many of you have ever filled out a timesheet? And, of course, every hand goes up. And then the next question is keep your hands up. And how many of you have ever not exactly put down on the timesheet what actually happened, Right. And every hand stays up. Never had anybody put their hand down. Actually, what I usually do is I cover my eyes and say, you know, and then my joke is that, well, maybe we should do an ethics course but right you know um, and, and, and you know and that's that's one of the complaints against it is that it, it causes people who are normally ethical to do unethical things and most of the time by the way when they they are are not recording the actual time it's down like it, and they actually worked on something for say eight hours and they put down six but as you put because earlier because i don't want my boss to think i'm an idiot right yeah. so i quote eat the two hours Right, but now, of course, if the boss is looking in the future at how long does it actually take somebody, it really took them eight, but you only wrote down six, so they can't make a decision, you know, and it just feeds on itself. But you know, the, the, the point is, is that can we at least st- start say that this is not actual anything? I mean, yeah. I just proved it's not. It's not even actually what you think it is, right? Yeah, yeah <laughs> exactly. It's optimal it's optimal. It's, so it's, right, I don't even know if this is a term. Can we call it optimal cost? I guess we can call it optimal cost. I, you know, <laughs> you know,
2: and the idea that the airs cancel out each other. You know, okay. Oh yeah. Yeah yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. yeah. Because some are going to eat time and there's going to be others that are budgeted eight hours, but because they're really smart or, you know, they'll do it in two, And then they'll take the rest of the day off. Well, those errors will cancel out and over. But, but we're not canceling the heirs out over a portfolio. We're looking at it per job, per hour. Right. The heirs are massive. And there's just no way to, to get around that.
1: Right, right. Well, before he we came over to our way of thinking, Ron, uh, you know, Greg Kite was the self-proclaimed champion of the dissenters. I don't know if you remember this, way back in 2010. Yes. And this is a fantastic contribution that Greg made uh, for the the defense of the billable hour and and, and of course the timesheet. So I, I just want to read this onto the record for our listeners, and we'll put a, a post up to this link. It's just brilliant. We should
2: probably tell the, the folks who Greg Kite is.
1: Well, Greg Kite yeah. is now the uh, a fellow at the the the, the, the Robert G Newhart non value added fellow. Right. Uh, after bob newhart but it was you know there was a time when he was not exactly on our side ron yeah it's true uh, you know so and uh, well, i want to read read into the record one of the, the the things that he submitted before he finally finally uh, got understood and got the light that yeah, we beat uh, the crap so, out
2: of him that's yeah that's true that's
1: true but so so here here <laughs> here it is uh, from from the archives of the Verisage institute uh, website ron baker you were wrong again i'm trying to do my, my best Be- Greg kite impression Right. The night before last is one of the biggest nights in the year of my firm. You and the rest of your Verisage flunkies could have had a piece of it too, but I guess you ditched the timesheet an hour too soon. You see, we have an annual tradition at the heart of busy season. Every one of our firms is expected to work the night before daylight savings time. We all work until 3.30 a.m., at which point we have a party. The party consists of waffles and a cheese tray. How can we afford to treat our people that good? You ask? Well, thanks to the Ben Franklin, I think, called the timesheet, we at precisely 2 a.m., we set our clocks ahead to 3 a.m. And with a staff of 52 people and an average billable rate of 120 an hour, our firm pockets an extra $6,240 just for staying up late and springing ahead. Boom! That was the sound of another hole blown off the hull of the good ship Varisage. Sorry, Captain Ron. Uh, but he does also mention that they also forbid people to work during fall back time. Cause that would, that would right. Not. That would be negative. That would be, <laughs> yeah. If yeah. work during the fall back, that would be. Right. Right.
2: That's <laughs> hilarious. I, you know, I do think there's still something in the idea of just mocking this, creating a movie, but you know, Gray could do something. Then we could just mock this thing out of existence. But, I'm even skeptical now that that would work because this is so ingrained into the DNA.
1: Well, there's the time sh- uh, sheets, S-H-I-D-S yeah. Yeah. video. That's a good one, too. B-B-B-B-S. And, of course, there's Bob's Barbecue featuring Greg Kite, you know, that, that are all yeah. part of this. But, uh, you know, the, the reason why that's so funny is because it's really not that far off. <laughs> yeah,
2: <that's> true <laughs> well all good humor has truth in it right oh yeah no absolutely it's got to that's why that's why humor like you always say laughter is a confession
1: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm.
2: So, you know you wouldn't confess if it wasn't true yep but yeah, yeah. Uh, uh a couple so letters about that two got. minutes left less
1: two, about two minutes left ron so
2: you know, bring us bring us home you know i just want to say to, just shout out to andrew from honolulu why he sent us a letter it was really interesting he, he really uh he liked our he enjoyed our show on starbucks or pricing at starbucks and he uh he told us a story about starbucks that was really great and uh he's a big fan of the show so thank you so much uh andrew and we've added him to the the bear sage facebook page and folks if anybody out there wants to um get on the bear sage and friends facebook page friend me or ed on facebook and then we'll uh we'll add you to the uh to our page. And then we got another letter from a, a, a new practitioner. He, he basically took over a medium sized CPA firm. He always hated the typical practice model. He says, In following you and other like minded thought leaders, um, you know, I really wanted to get rid of the old model and and he wants to turn into a, what he called a Ruth's Chris style firm because we always use that analogy when we're talking yeah. about, you know, boutique yeah. or whatever. And, uh, so shout out to Chris! Thank you so much for uh, for your email and and thanks to everybody else who continues to give us feedback on the show and potential guests and and everything else. So really love hearing from you guys.
1: All right. Well, Ron, coming up next week, we've got our interview with Jordan Birnbaum He's a behavioral economist that you uh, talked to and from ADP. So we look forward to to talking with him next week.
2: Excellent. I'll see you in 167 hours, Ed.
1: This has been the soul of enterprise business in the knowledge economy sponsored by Sage energizing business builders around the world through the imagination of our people and the power of technology. Join us next week on Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern. That's 1 p.m. Pacific time. In the meantime, please do visit us at www.thesoulofenterprise.com.